Retro Spectacle, Episode 10, Artificial Intelligence in the Kurzweil Singularity on the Drink 5 Network. I love that song. That's uh, that's Dredge from Leitmotif, right? An album from that's probably right. the late '90s or early 2000s. '98. Yeah, great album. Shout out to Dredge from Oakland. Fantastic band. And uh, and like Jason said, we're here to discuss some other things, not necessarily music from California, but we might get to that in some other uh, program. Of course, it could happen. It's uh, always a possibility. Tonight uh, we will start like we usually do, and I will let you know what I'm drinking. I am drinking tequila uh have a particularly good silver that i like and i'm also drinking uh, a little bit of a red wine blend and uh, how about yourself uh i have a goose island ipa thank you very much dave um you know i'm a fan of goose island i really like their honkers ale i like to drink it in the fall their ipa is solid it's nothing particularly special but you know us we love ipas so it's gonna take a really fancy good crazy double tripled ipa to really knock our socks off at this point right yeah, I mean, I've I've had the socks knocked right off of me. Yeah, it happens. I think there's a beer called like Socks Knocker. <laughs> it would make sense. I would not be surprised. I mean, there's there's beard beers. There's there's all sorts of beers, uh, which of course we need to do a, a podcast on beer at some point as well. It's, I thought you were going to say we need to do a podcast on beards. On beards too, sure. Why not? You know, these are, <laughs> these are all great, uh, great, interesting topics. And today is Cinco de Mayo. Oh, thank you for the music, sir. Anytime. And uh, on this, uh, one of the most misunderstood of days, we celebrate the Mexican victory over French occupying forces at the Battle of Puebla. But a lot of people seem to think that it's Mexican Independence Day or it's some other kind of huge celebration. It's actually almost more of a celebration in the United States than it is in Mexico. Although they do sometimes have the day off down there, Okay. it is not a national holiday or anything like that. Okay. So it's like... Uh you know, maybe Veterans Day here, where it's a holiday in a lot of places, but not everywhere. And yeah, I think we just make a bigger deal out of it because uh, probably because bars and restaurants and things want to sell massive amounts of Mexican food and tequila. It's and basically St. Patrick's Day for you know Mexican. It's a drinking holiday. Yeah, the Irish because you know. Yeah, it's a, the excuse to get wasted all day long. Exactly. It's so, a good excuse. So we're, we're more than happy to have any occasion to celebrate with food and drinks than we did in Cinco de Mayo fashion. Have tacos earlier, a little steak and chorizo, and uh, celebrating with tequila now as well. So uh, Cheers, buddy. Cheers to that. Viva Mexico. And just because it's interesting to me. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about this uh, song we're listening to? Uh, so this is a genre of music called Narco Corrido, uh, which is basically like about the you know guys who write music about the cartels and like glorify them and shit and glorify that whole thing. Uh, but the music's actually kind of interesting. Um, you know, it's similar 
in a certain vein to like gangster rap in that it takes a you know part of society that everyone despises and glorifies it in their music and it becomes very popular this clearly isn't anything like gangster music in the music aspect but you know in the spirit of it it's pretty damn close when we talk about cultural things you know this kind of music is is uh is definitely what like uh people in mexico like the heart of mexico listen to just as uh as in gangster rap might be like you know the heart of some uh, uh big urban community somewhere in the city yeah i mean you know i'm sure it's i know in you're isolated right. parts of mexico i don't think it's spread throughout i mean mexico city is a big place no i mean the genre of music not right yeah but but you know specifically it's inter- interesting that you're talking about like the uh the cartels and everything so I can't really understand what they're saying, but are they like chop off their heads and steal their money because they're Americans? Like, no, what, no. What there's they... actually uh, there's actually subtitles on this. Um, what are the lyrics? The cartel's running hot because they weren't getting respect. Uh, talking about some Heisenberg who owns the market now. You know, they're they're not um, as literal, I suppose. It it fits more as a musical thing. Uh, you know, no man knows the main. No one knows the man because he hasn't shown his face. So are they telling the story or are they like on the side of promoting? And- it's a little bit about Heisenberg, yeah. But, um, you know, it's more like the cartel is going to come and get you Heisenberg <laughs> is what it is. Well, that's interesting. Well, so that's the- fun. We'll link that uh, so everyone can check it out. For sure. On to the show. Uh, artificial intelligence is a huge topic, first of all. So I want to branch out in just a couple of directions. I want to talk about a couple of people that are very uh, key to it now and have been in the past. And then I wanted to just talk about uh, some other people's viewpoints and not in great detail, but uh, discuss uh, among ourselves like some of the ramifications of this possible technology going forward. So uh, a guy that you're familiar with, um, Alan Turing, Uh, And you're familiar with him from not only the movie Imitation Game, which is uh, about like him sort of breaking the codes in uh, in the World War II. Right. It's about breaking the Enigma machine that the Germans used. But also, we were just talking earlier, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but Neil Stevenson, one of the best writers uh, that I've read uh, from Cryptonomicon. Yes, uh, I'm... I'm almost certain it must have been Cryptonomicon because it took place around that time. Well, I read it uh, a long time ago. Yeah, they, but... it's sort of a fictionalized, uh, historically, mostly historically accurate, fictionalized accounting uh, in this part of the story of breaking the Enigma machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously with a book title named Cryptonomicon, uh, breaking a code is going to be central to the story. Cryptology probably has something to do with it. So unfortunately, I didn't learn about an awesome guy like Alan Turing in school. I read about him in a book that was a fictionalized book, uh, but I sort of knew in the back of my head he was a real person. So, you know, after that, I did some research into him and just learned about who he was and uh, what he had done. And, uh, you know, they credit him, as they say in the uh, in the movie, with saving something like uh, 12 million lives because they think that they ended the war two years earlier right. than they would have been able to otherwise. So, uh, needless to say, a very smart guy, a guy that was involved in a lot of different scientific fields and also philosophy, and also he was a a marathon runner, an ultra-distance runner. Not that that has anything to do with anything, but one of those people where you see their life history uh, in biographies, etc., and you say, how could they possibly have done all of that stuff? They obviously had no time to themselves at all. They were just being um, very selfless or 
preoccupied or maybe these genius types of people just must be occupied with something always. I Yeah, I mean, I wonder if nowadays we think like, when did he have time to sit down and watch TV? You know, but like people didn't do that. Like, well, there were radio programs and, and other entertainment, but you're right. We're really yeah. sucking up our lives lately. And with- there's people that still just like only spend their time doing like all kinds of things all the time. Um, you know, and maybe there's the next Alan Turing out there who's doing just that. Sure. Uh, considered the father of artificial intelligence. He was, as we mentioned, involved with a lot of cryptology cracking codes during World War II. But he had a huge and varied background in the maths and sciences. At this time, no one had even come up with the term artificial intelligence. It came later in like 1956. Someone else coined it that I'm not going to get into. But the point is, we're talking about Alan Turing before even World War II, you know, when he was doing his studies and, and mm-hmm. working in the fields, when he was posing these sorts of questions. Um, computers at that time, in the 1950s, and this is even after when he was actually coming up with these ideas, uh, were limited to processing input provided on punch cards, still taking up whole floors of buildings, assembled with two or 3,000 vacuum tubes. Yeah. I just can't, I can't really fathom that myself. And I know, <laughs> like my dad, for example, he went to school for um, electronic engineering. He did a fair amount of programming, but he went to school in the 70s, and they still had punch card uh, mainframes. Yep, my dad used some punch cards in college, too. It's funny they would they would tell stories about uh, I'm talking about our fathers about like dropping the punch cards and then you have to sort them all back up again. So a lot of times, I think everyone who used punch cards tells that story. So a lot of times they would number them and stuff just because you never want to have like a whole program that you developed and then have 400 punch cards dropped and basically you have to start over because you have to reassemble the program unless you have some kind of uh, of way to know exactly what order they're in. Yeah. So from our perspective, um, being 30-somethings, what was one of the earliest encounters that you had with artificial intelligence? I'm going to say real or imaginary. And for me, uh, it was data from Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, And I understand this is a fictional show, although Star Trek was sort of bordering on hard science, kind of. Hard sci-fi? Yeah, hard sci-fi, not hard science. All all science is hard. (laughs) Um but the philosophical and ethical questions that were raised in Star Trek episodes were really interesting to me. So you've got this guy who sort of comes out of nowhere. This is the backstory for for Data. And if people aren't familiar with him, they should go watch some Star Trek from the late '80s, early '90s. But if yeah, you, I'm not if, familiar with Data's backstory at all, if you don't want origin story, if you don't want to be that involved, it comes from this one guy who comes from the Federation. He is on some like abandoned planet somewhere, and his life's mission was to. Uh, was to create these androids uh, with lifelike emotions and c- could think and feel for themselves, etc. And he actually did. He ended up creating Data and then another one as well, his his brother, I guess you could say. And then he ended up passing away and the crew of Star Trek found Data somehow. I forget the actual episode. Okay. But constantly they were having to deal with the fact that he could think and feel, but he wasn't like emotional so he was processing things logically. You know, Vulcans are logic. You're not going too far into Star Trek. Okay. But, but it wasn't like Data. Data was like a computer. Right. So he could think and he could feel, but he was not at all emotional. And, Interesting. And that's something they had to deal with a lot because 
if you can think and make decisions, but you don't have compassion, et cetera, yeah. then how does that work? What decisions are you making? How can you uh, try to impress upon so is something he, like that? W- w- without the ability to emulate emotions like that, can he really be considered AI? Because artificial intelligence sort of implies that it's hard, if not impossible, to tell it apart from a human. And it's clear that data is not human. That's one definition of it. Um, artificial intelligence is, I think, has been identified in the community anyway as being able to uh, to reason and make your own decisions and learn and be able to uh, create things on your own without having input from something else. Now, you're talking about okay. emotion and compassion and, and all those things, which are sort of a separate deal. I suppose, but in order to create things, I think you need some sort of emotion. You can't just imagine something out of like no context at all. Well, we'll get into all this stuff. But but if you have all the knowledge in the world, for example, which Data doesn't have necessarily, he has to get it in his memory banks, blah, blah, blah. But let's say you were something that existed and you had, um, you know, limitless amounts of, of memory and intelligence. Then basically you, what you would do is identify a need. And then if you found the need, then you would do whatever it took to fulfill that need. So let's say you needed to uh, get resources for something in order to, uh, to, to continue on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then then in order to get over like a surface, right? Like like the original humans, you, you come upon like a creek and you want to go over the creek because you haven't seen what's over there. Right. So you're just moving along and you... you need to find a way to get across the creek. So you would probably, you know, nothing to do with feelings or emotions, but just consult like memory and be like, how does that, how do I do that? And then build okay. that thing in order to get over it. But I mean, you know... It would be very... It's uh, not like it... Calculated. I, I thought you meant like it was inventing something new. Like, you know... A bridge is, it's going to be programmed to know that, okay, when I approach this creek, I need to build a bridge in order to get across it. What I'm talking about, what I thought you were talking about was it would create something new that no one else has ever thought of. Well, we'll get into this. And that's what humans can do. They can create things that no one's ever thought of before. Music, art, inventions. Uh, Yes, perhaps. Um, However, like for example, well, I'll I'll get into this in a little bit. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, so, so, what about you? Um, earliest encounter that you had with artificial intelligence? Uh, boy, I've been really trying to like turning this over for the last few minutes. I mean, there's got to be like some sort of uh, cartoons that we wa- we watched when we were kids that had like a computer that would talk to people and stuff. Well, sure. Um, there's I mean, that, but um, in real life, I mean, you could talk about video gaming, uh, for example. Yeah. Because that sort of stuff is programmed, and now a lot of people that are in the field separate game AI from real AI, but it still is uh, artificial intelligence. There it, was some program that you showed me a long time ago. It was uh, like a Mac program. It was called Eliza. Okay. And Eliza was a fictional um, psychologist, basically. Okay. And he would talk to you. And this is sort of the earliest version uh, that anyone ever had of like a Siri or an OK Google or mm-hmm. whatever. And actually, it was pretty good back in the day because it would it would figure out what it was that you were saying. Uh, and, and it wasn't uh, deciphering your actual speech. Uh, you at that, would type it in. At that time, you would type in commands, yeah. Um, but it would basically take what you were saying, figure out like some phrases or, or concepts that you had put into it, and then spit out a response to try to either uh, provoke a response from you, get more information, or uh, 
let's be honest, it was silly too. So sometimes it would just say things that were silly. <laughs> but it was actually interesting because you could kind of have a conversation for a minute, but then after a couple of uh, of times talking to it, you realize that like this thing didn't really it's repeating. It or... didn't really take information and use it and think. Right. Right. Uh, but you could fool yourself for a second, for right, just a second. It's kind of re- responding to uh, what you're saying. And a psychologist is a, is a good persona way. to come upon because they're basically just usually asking the same questions that you ask at them back, right? Yeah. You're like totally. so, <laughs> so tell me, tell me about that. <laughs> tell me more. How did that affect you growing up? Right. <laughs> so you could ask questions as Eliza from Eliza's perspective that weren't. Uh, uh, that were probing you, but weren't actually showing that there was uh, an intelligence there. There wasn't anything actually using that information. Well, it was just scripts, you know, right. and it would reset every time. So certainly uh, part of this, definitely kind of like an artificial intelligence at the very beginning of, of those stages, but not something that is anywhere close to what we would need to pass the Turing test, for example. Turing thought that uh, giving enough given enough processing power and the advance of technology that the ability to distinguish between a person and a computer could become blurred to the point where there wouldn't be a distinction that you wouldn't be able to tell because that computer could carry on that same conversation that someone was having with anyone else. And it's same with data. Data could talk to you. And if you were on the other side of a phone, for example, you know, it didn't sound like a computer, um, didn't seem like a computer. So, there, there was really no distinction there. Right. There's more, you know, there's different levels of it, I suppose. Like, there's the time when you know you're talking to a computer, but it certainly seems damn intelligent. Uh, and then there's times when um, you're talking to something that seems like a human or could be in the places where a human normally would be, would be and uh, would you be. just can't, <laughs> you just can't get enough information to know that it's not a human. Well, right, and we're kind of existing in that time right now. So the test is based on this old parlor game called The Imitation Game from Victorian times. And that's also the title of a movie from, I think, a year or two ago with Benedict Cumberbatch playing Alan Turing. Yeah, just last year. Um, And I think everyone should go see it. It was a good movie. It was mostly uh, about his issues uh, struggling with homosexuality and... um, and, and Living in a country that where it was outlawed at the time. Yeah, which which makes sense. Uh, but there was also a little bit about the the cryptology. Well, it and, was mostly about breaking the code. I mean that that made the plot go until the end, and yeah. yeah. And then it has a sad ending. It was a good movie though, and it was uh, pretty true to what I've read about his life biographically. So something that's very interesting. I, I would I would agree. You should go watch it. Yeah, I would think that Cumberbatch wouldn't. Uh, Wanted like do a puff piece on it. He wanted to keep it as real as possible. No, he was into it. In fact, uh, afterwards he even did a couple of YouTube videos for no reason. He wasn't getting paid or anything. Um, this is just recently, I think, uh, f- from uh, letters that Turing had had written, and he just read them. You know, in the persona, in the character. Cool. But I know he's one of those actors that really gets into his roles, which I appreciate too. Yeah, like uh, Smog. Like Smog. <laughs> so this parlor game it's uh, a man and a woman both trying to convince everyone that they are the woman so the woman has to answer honestly and the man can answer any way he wants to in order to convince the people that he is the woman they would go into separate rooms for example and then there would be someone who's like sort of the moderator who would take the answers 
from them after they asked the question and then okay. read it to the party. Okay. And the party would have to decide after four or five or however many answers that they gave, which one actually was the woman and which one was pretending to be the woman. Huh. So Turing's version of the test puts the computer in the role of the man trying to convince the audience that it is human because, of course, it's not human. So you would have in this test, um, in, people have done it very many different ways, but you would basically have several humans or one human or whatever, and you would have a computer that's programmed to elicit responses in whatever way it's programmed um, to be able to be human. To, to take, answer these questions, to, to try and pose as a human, yeah. essentially. So to take the, the input that it's given and spit it back at them just like a regular person would answer. And there have been tests forever about this, and most have failed. <laughs> Several of those tests have actually recently appeared to win or come close to winning. There is a famous case that just happened, I think, last year or earlier this year. It's a chatbot that was from Russia that had done very well in previous tests as well. It had gotten something like 29%. And the idea here at this particular test was to have a greater than 33%, uh, greater than a third chance, uh, or I'm sorry, percentage of the judges, whoever is judging, uh-huh. saying that, yes, that's a human. Okay. When, in fact, it's a computer. Right. So this chatbot called Eugene Guzman, which is, I don't know why it's called Eugene Guzman. <laughs> it's an interesting name. But it actually got one in three judges, uh, I think last year, to pick it as a 13-year-old non-native-speaking Ukrainian boy. Now, it won, but it's not a computer doing whatever the computer wants to do. Uh, in thinking sort of for the computer, it's a it's a program. It's just a collection of clever scripts. Well, yes. I mean, it's a program on the computer that takes in input and it changes it um, and, and forms it around and figures out stuff based on whatever information it is given or has kind of in the bankroll yeah. to spit back out and fool the judges. And it does have tricks like this one misspelled a couple words on purpose, etc. You know, putting it in the role of a non-native speaking Ukrainian boy is kind of misleading. It's kind of uh, it's an easy thing to imitate. Well, it's not easy. Well, the fact from that, their perspective, the fact that it was able to win. This is the first time it's ever happened. Is amazing. Well, it wasn't claiming to be like a well-educated doctor that like you wouldn't be able to program answers to. Well, correct. And I don't know. I mean, not, not every person knows the answer to everything anyway. So, but, but obviously, it would be easier for a computer to be a 13-year-old non-native speaker than it would be to be a 65-year-old learned judge. Right. And it's certainly probably going to be the case as this actually comes around that you know what we see is the technology can imitate a 2-year-old and then a 5-year-old. And they can reason like an eight-year-old. You know, it, it'll be incremental. Sure, because right now the processing power of computers, while pretty vast, is not anything like it will be soon. And we'll get to that. Um, most will argue that no computer has yet passed the Turing test. And I would agree with those people according to its original spirit. And although there are loopholes, you know, it's not, it's not, like, uh, it's not like they didn't accomplish a great goal because they did. Right. Um, but still, as you and I can see, and as I'm sure as the people there can see as well, uh, pretending to be a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy is not as uh, magnificent a task 
as as actually being able to impersonate a human um, at a high level. So now that computers are demonstrating that they can get close to fooling humans, and I know we don't have a lot of information in front of us, uh, in some cases actually doing it just like they did with, uh, with Eugene. Eugene Guzman, I just can't get over that Eugene name. Eugene Guzman. It's fantastic, it is. So they're starting to more easily comprehend human speech patterns. Even things like Siri and um, you know all, all of those different devices on phones, those are like low-tech now. And low-tech now is stuff that was unimaginable 15 years ago. True. It, it would be impossible to think that you could like ask your phone how to get somewhere or tell it to remind you to do something. Now I do that without even thinking. <laughs> so it's pretty amazing the, the rapidity uh, of like how these things actually get accomplished. Anyway, um, how long do you think it will be before the Turing test is actually passed? And by actually passed, I don't mean by a 13-year-old Ukrainian non-native speaking boy. I mean a panel of six judges and it's just regular people like you and me. Right. You and I. Um, so I think that yeah, we're not scientists may happen anything, in but, our lifetime, you know. but at the same time, it may be that we can always tell the difference. This may not, I, I also think there's a small chance that we will always be able to tell the difference. Well, okay. And I understand that. And as we'll talk in a little bit, uh, you know, the, the exponential growth of things is difficult for people to understand sometimes. And, uh, you know, me or you or anyone else. But the fact of the matter is the the stuff that has changed in 100 years would be unbelievable to people from 100 years ago. Of course. We're literally like aliens and gods coming down from the heavens at this point. Yeah. So to, to think that we could understand what will happen in, you know, 100 years, well, according to all the theories, um, it should really not be 100 years. It should be halved. So I think... It'll be more like 40 or 50 years in which uh, the things that we're seeing as far as androids or robots, and they don't even have to be robots, they could just be a computer voice, would be able to imitate not only a human, but be able to do any human with any accent. That's what I think. Because that information is just ridiculously compounding, you know, every single year. So... Some others working in the field of artificial intelligence submit that the Turing test is inherently flawed and that any computer that's able to fool the judges will be doing that. They'll be fooling them rather than demonstrating actual comprehension and intelligence. That's, we, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Well, we talked about that. It's, you know, it's more of a trick to beat the test. It is until a computer can actually think because there is no artificial intelligence truly right now. Right. Whenever that is to happen, if and when it is to happen, it would be a breakthrough. And, and once that was to happen, then such a computer could think and, and sort of figure things out themselves. So, like you said, uh, sort of taking that, like, you know, two-year-old to five-year-old to seven-year-old. For example, if we first came up with artificial intelligence and there was actually, like, something that actually worked because it was on that grade of a scale, yeah, it would probably, compared to the things that happened 20 years after, be like a toddler. Of course. Infant. Just like, you know, when we look at a computer from 20 years ago. Exactly. It's hilarious. Like, e even though those were incredibly advanced. And They're like, hilarious. I mean, a laptop <laughs> 20 years ago was pretty much the same size as this. Like, it was thicker um, and it was louder and, 
it was heavier, but and it basically did nothing compared to the ones exactly. Nowadays. It does like every single thing that it does, I would have no use for today. A computer from 1995. Yeah, the only use you have, have for like those old computers, browser, yeah. calculators, that's all they could I do. guess Windows 95 was the first time like you started using some of that stuff, but yeah, that's pretty much useless at this point. Well, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. The, the rapid growth of technology makes it so that a computer from 10 years ago, although it can still... Look, some of them can't because the technology is just not built that well, but let's say it is. Let's say you have a laptop from 10 years ago that still operates. Yeah. You have no reason to open that laptop. You might probably as well, can't run most things that you want to use on the internet. Of course it can't. You might as well just throw it away. You can't even like use it just to stream music. You certainly can't use it to watch YouTube or anything like that. At this point, in perspective, a computer that you could buy for $100 at a Best Buy would be probably 20 times faster than it. Oh, easy. So, I mean, it just so rapidly becomes outdated, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, Computers are awesome. What can so, we say? <laughs> yes, that's what we're saying. So uh, so a couple of people have come up with a series of tests to try to accomplish the same goal without allowing the same loopholes. Now let's give Alan Turing a break, right? Because it's a long time ago, and he was able to envision this being relevant. And now it's super relevant all over the place. Yeah. I mean, the guy didn't live to be 50, but the things that he said and did are living on for a long period of time. But just very briefly, here's a couple of the... Uh, of the tests that people have come up with that might be a little bit better. Um, so here's one called the Winograd Schema Challenge. And this is from Hector Levesque. I don't know how to pronounce that. From the University of Toronto. Uh, I don't have a flappy head, so I can't do Canadian sounds. Hey, buddy. <laughs> so he says chatbots are effective at fooling judges into thinking they're human, but that's just how easy it is to fool someone. So his test... Uh, which he thinks is superior to the Turing test, and I kind of agree, is where he'll ask something like this. The trophy would not fit in the brown suitcase because it was too big. What was too big? Now, you know the answer, right? The trophy would not fit in the brown suitcase because it was too big. Right. What was too big? The trophy. Right. But those kinds of questions are difficult for computers to answer because they're asking for a spatial representation of an object in a sentence. And the computer doesn't know how big these objects are because we're not telling it. And they don't quite understand the sentence structure. They would think that whatever too big is referring to is going to be it, that being the suitcase. It just wouldn't understand. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so it's very difficult for a computer to understand this. However, the problem is not that the computer can't understand the sentence. It's that the computer can't think for itself and figure it out. Yeah. Because eventually it would figure it out. I mean, uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. We were talking about computers, how long it would take them to become, you know, very intelligent and, and figure these things out. Would, would would there in the future be like this redneck computer society that just wasn't very good at grammar and like, you know, had a bunch of uh, motherboards on, on bricks? And, <laughs> um, you know, it'll be, they'll be good, the new computers. What? You were talking about how good new computers are going to be? No, no. I, I was talking about redneck computers. Who, who, redneck computers? Who aren't, I think you missed that. No, so. I was reading about the Marcus test. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, this, this, uh, all these alternatives are very interesting. Yeah, we'll go over them real quick. No, but, I mean. Uh, but I was talking about redneck computers that can't uh, you know, uh, understand 
officially English grammar and probably have motherboards on blocks in their front yards and you know <laughs> these <laughs> these things. I, I'm just I'm putting this in human perspective, which probably doesn't make any sense. You're reaching. Yeah. Uh, so the Marcus test. And and this is something where they basically are, are trying to build a computer program that can watch a TV program or a YouTube video or whatever, and it can answer questions about what it saw. So it's like a comprehension test. Like you're taking the SAT and you read five paragraphs, you know, or you watch a video or whatever, yeah. and then you have to write an essay about it or you have to answer questions. So if I was to ask you a specific question about something you watched, I'm, you know, for example, uh, we, we just finished watching uh, Daredevil episode uh, six. Right. And in, in that particular show, well, I'm not going to spoil anything for anybody, but, but I could just ask the question. So, like, did you think that the actor that played Daredevil was um, believable or not? Okay, so I, I see where you what you're getting at because it's an open ended question. There's yeah. not like a a yes or a no answer to that. There is, but you know, just saying yes or no doesn't validate you as a you know being non human. You can't have a conversation about you would the have show. to say exactly. You'd have to say you'd have to elaborate and about how you feel about the show. So I, I like this one too. I think it's nice. Yeah. Um, then there's the Lovelace test and. Uh, and this is apparently named in honor of the world's first computer programmer, who looks pretty uh, looks pretty smoking hot over there in that uh, ancient yeah, picture. Look at those ankles. <laughs> There's the Princess Leah buns, you know. Oh, Princess I didn't catch that. She's the original nerd. Yeah. Uh, the The test was originally developed in 2001 by uh, some guy that his name sounds like Fjord, and uh, mm-hmm. and he said basically that if if a computer or anything artificial could create a true work of art in a way that the developer had not programmed that information into him. Okay. Then there must be some kind of intelligence at play. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier in that it would create something that's never existed before. Not something that it was programmed to know about. Sure. So that is also a great test. Uh, I think all of these things are, are very important. Um, and all of them are, are probably collectively better than Turing. Now, is it possible that you could create a computer that's just a bad artist or a bad musician? Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, it's funny because we, we, we joke about that, but that absolutely is possible. Right. right? Because if you're... You'll te- make a bad musician before you make a good musician. Well, specifically for that test, for the Lovelace test, I mean, I figure that artificial intelligence would have to be really mature in order to do something like that. Because otherwise, like we were saying, it's it sort of might be raised up as like the, you know, the two-year-old version of this, the three-year-old version. Yeah. Now, but uh, I do think that we're comparing it to ourselves, right? We're comparing it to humans. And we may be totally off base. Okay. If Because if we're able to actually uh, construct something that can do thinking on its own um, at the like magnified power of anything our brains can handle, right? Because computers can already do like almost as many if, uh, I don't know exactly what the number is, but they're very close to, to the computing power of our existing brains. Um, in certain ways, like in like when you compare certain stats, but they're certainly not close to being able to recreate something like the brain that can store so much memory that can uh, you know access it the way it does. Eh, I understand you being a human with things, you know, 
Uh, but, but you're well, right. We'll get to what I think is going to happen more when we talk about Criswell. Right now, we can't do that. But because, <laughs> Right now, we have to finish this. No, I'm saying because things are exponentially growing... Uh, right. in, in 20 years, then the computing power of a computer will be ridiculously huge. Right. I mean, you Something can we sort of measure fathom. the computing power, power of the brain, but I don't know that it's you can't exactly measure it like you can a computer. I mean, I think you will be able to, uh, but, but regardless of They that. will merge. So, uh, Charlie Ortiz, uh, this guy is a manager of artificial intelligence at Nuance Communications. Formerly known as the IKEA challenge, basically what he's doing is is giving uh, an artificial intelligence yeah. uh, or a computer or whatever the plans to make something and then saying, all right, make it. So here's instructions to IKEA's Poang. Uh-huh. Now no, put it together. It. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing. And it, it, it may just be a giant troll to point out that most people aren't intelligent at all because a lot of people can't figure out IKEA furniture instructions that's funny uh you know you're right but but it's it's very easy to say you know it is right now for example that computers are more intelligent than some people i know because man some people are idiots (laughs) very true but see they have the ability to be idiots whereas a computer does not have that choice or ability it only has whatever was put into it very true As, as dumb as you think your phone or computer is it's all just you know, the software that you put on it that's causing it to be that way. There's the visual Turing test, and this one is pretty interesting too. We're talking about not having any kind of language or sentence or text input. We're looking at a scene that has certain things on a table and then asking it, where is the coffee cup? And in this case, the coffee cup is on top of a uh, like a tablecloth or, or whatever, a, sure. a, a diamond. And it's a napkin, something. Yeah, so it's asking for uh, spatial uh, representation. You would say it's in the middle of the table. Yeah, if you and I were answering the question of where an object is. So in order to do that, the computer would have to identify what those individual objects are, and what relationship they have to each other, and what the question is, and what the language of the question is. That's a lot of things. That's a lot of things. It's asking it to do. Yeah. So these are these are things that computers can't currently do. Because they don't know what those things are, right? You're looking at this picture. It doesn't say this is a chair. In fact, uh, the chair in the picture is mostly covered up so that you wouldn't even know it was a chair unless you knew specifically what a chair looked like behind the table. That's very true. I mean, in this picture, all you see is four legs underneath the table. You see the back of the chair. You have to build the chair in your mind. Yes. The chair is not in this picture. That's kind of what I was talking about a minute ago where the human brain can easily connect that. It, I looked at the table and I was like, what are all these legs? Oh, that's a chair. It took me five, ten seconds to figure that but out. But it's not the human brain that connects that. It's your experience. It's When you were a baby, you but didn't know But all of that is a part of my brain. Uh, uh, of course. And I'm not, I'm not attacking your brain. No, you. I know. But like an AI, of course... Uh, they'll be they'll start with a given amount of stuff, but the idea is that they will also be able to learn, and it would get better. Right. You know. Right. And 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 it's a little hard for us to see because when we say things like you know to start off as a two year old, like the that like infancy, like the period of time that it takes us to do something, is not 
relational. It's not going to take that it three more years to get to be a, like a five year old, right? An AI is probably going to evolve, and there's actually a really cool book. We've brought up books that bring up AI. Sure, uh, there's a good series by an author that we both like, uh, Robert J. Sawyer. Yeah. It's called the Wake series, um, and it's actually, you know, of course, about a blind girl. So that matches with our Daredevil talk later on. <laughs> um, but in the book, there is a artificial intelligence that sort of uh, realizes itself and then evolves and becomes smarter and smarter. And that's sort of how I see it could, you know, one way that it could happen. That's interesting. Um, uh, real quickly, I'm just going to glaze over these last ones. So one's called the reverse Turing test, where a computer would have to actually uh, identify if something was a human. which Something kinda, that we've all taken. A CAPTCHA, which is kind of funny. Uh, and then this last one uh, is called digital dissection. And this is interesting. But it, we're saying we need proof that it actually um, has sort of a brain in machine form. Right? Okay. So they'd have to figure that out somehow, uh, like physically in the hardware. You'd look at the hardware and say, oh, here is the part of it that is different than what we used to build, and this must be what's creating it. Right, because because looking for an answer in a simplistic human fashion is, uh, if something has changed, then there must be a catalyst to that change. Right, or there's a piece of code that's been written that is a smoking gun. Right. There is a smoking gun somewhere. There's a, what do they call it? Like the monoliths, you know, like there's something that has happened that is... It must be created. It cannot just spring forth. Well, and, and that's that's a problem too to, for me to think that way because that's sort of like the same kind of evolutionary creationist uh, sort of argument, right? Like it must have been created because how could it be here otherwise? So then you get to this point where you're like, oh, like, you know, mind blown, like what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, my favorite is number eight, which is all the above because... The Turing test is just one little thing. Something could fool it. Something already has. But they're actually working now uh, to take all of these different tests and put them into one uh, so that they can have kind of a, a Turing Olympics. Um, and I, drinking I, involved? I sort of hope that they keep the name after him because, man, that guy is so long ago and all of his facts and, and information are still relevant. So, oh, very much so. So I think that'd be cool. And and there could be drinking involved. I don't think that would help the computer. It might help the humans. You know, it, if a computer could get drunk and still pass all of the tests, then I think that would be a solid... Because I bet a drunk human would be able to pass all of these things still. <laughs> like, maybe they have a hard time reading the CAPTCHA or, like, you know, examining, like, actually putting together the IKEA furniture. Right. But I still think that, like, a drunk human could figure out all these things. Well, sure, but we already are what we are. We are, we know that we are that. Well, these are not tests to confirm that we are like intelligent. Well, the tests must work both ways. Like Humans <laughs> taking the test can't fail these tests all the time because then it's not a very good test. Well, that's the problem is that we're, we are trying to identify something. That's a problem, not the problem. We're trying to identify something based on our standards of intelligence. And who knows if that's even the only standard of intelligence. That's, yeah. But, but based on our standard of intelligence, these are good tests. Because for the most part, someone that is just a regular human who can, can do. But we, as we talked about earlier, uh, someone who is a, an infant or a toddler would not be able to do any of these. Um, probably not. Well, someone who... Because we can't even speak until we're like okay. two, three years yes. old. You need to be able to interact 
with yourself and what Turing originally thought. Talk about, about holding computers you know, to a high standard. The Turing test was <laughs> that it should be able to emulate an adult mind and and. Break yeah. the Turing test. Can you imagine if someone like created artificial intelligence and it was undergoing some kind of slow growth or gestational period, and they're just we like, had to deal with like a shitty teenage artificial intelligence for five years. Well, no, worse than that. <laughs> they like put it up against a test and like it didn't know anything, so they just like threw it away. Uh, <laughs> they didn't realize they had created it. They just needed to make it smarter because it was like an infant. It didn't know anything. All it could do was say error, 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 error. <laughs> That's like the computer's version of crying. <laughs> but again, I, I don't think that comparing humans and computers are is right. I just think we always try to create everything in our own image, you know. So so that's what we're expecting to have. That's why we make robots because we're expecting to have things in our own image. We're expecting them to look exactly like us. So uh, any other tests you can think of that could uh, test for artificial intelligence from a machine? Um. Excuse me. I don't know. I mean, I like the idea of like feeding it. Like here is a, uh, you know, it's a machine that can manipulate things in regular 3D space. Here is a set of instructions. Build this thing. And it's not like something that it's ever been pre-programmed. Now, when you think about that, maybe like a 3D printer is close to that, which clearly isn't an artificial no, intelligence No, because you give it instructions. You well, you have to give it instructions in the IKEA test. No, but you actually tell it what to do in assembly language, because all, all oh, instead of giving it a planning, that's sort of the key here is that you have to just give it plain English. Well, you may give a computer plain English, but but all all high level level um, you know uh, programming languages are composed of of lower level computer languages. Right. So like if if you tell something, um, if you tell a computer something in plain English then it's basically a computer language that is then translating that into something, which is translating that into something, which is going down to zeros and ones, which is telling right. it exactly what to do. Right. So that's that's what we're, we're saying uh, shouldn't happen. Like, we shouldn't have to tell it something. We shouldn't have to translate for it. Right. So we just give it the, the uh, 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 impetus, right? We ask it a question. Yeah. Or, or we pr- propose that it completes a task. Or you can you can feed it like a you know a piece of paper or a menu uh-huh. or something, that's fine. It needs some sort of input. Yeah. What I think you know would be the ultimate, as as I've said a couple times now, is it creates something with no input. Well, that is that that's my you know that's where that's the test I want to see passed. Well, before that happens, the other things have to happen. Sure. Look, I, I hold a very high standard for it to actually you know match. To call it artificial intelligence. Well, if it actually happens, people are going to get very angry. Uh, but we'll get to that. Maybe too. they're only able to like make something as intelligent as a dolphin. <laughs> well, we don't know how intelligent dolphins are, so that means nothing to me. Well, they're not as smart as humans at doing things that humans know how to do. And we're not <laughs> we're not as smart as dolphins at doing things dolphins know how to I do. I know. <laughs> But we're not as smart as lots of animals that know how to do things. And we're certainly smarter than most animals. Well, we're trying to measure something. In we the may co- be the third smartest species on the planet, Dave. There you go. <laughs> it's obviously turtles. Turtles all the way down. So, Ray Kurzweil. Uh, Kurzweil. Is, 
Ray Kurzweil is a crazy guy, right? Uh, he he takes like 150 pills a day. Uh, he has all these injections of these crazy chemicals uh, that were are basically things that are found in infants or things that are from stem cells or whatever. He's, he's, <laughs> he's cracking fetuses open and sucking out the stem cells. No, he's doing only things that are legal, but he's, <laughs> he's trying to live forever and believes that he can because... Uh, there is a, a certain point, right, where sort of medicine catches up to things and we start living longer life expectancies than, yep. than we actually, than the time it takes to uh, make those breakthroughs. So there's going he to just be... just needs to live long enough for these breakthroughs to occur. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I love this guy, but I don't think he's going to. I think he's How already old is he now? 67, I think. Although okay. he looks like he's probably like 45 or 50 or something. Anyway, he is rec- just Botox. He's recognized as a force of intelligence and innovation. Uh, he's a guy who has invented scanners, printed speech machines, music synthesizers, optical character recognition, among many, many other things. Uh, he's a very intelligent person. No one can refute that. Um, he is also called crazy sometimes. I like how he only has a bachelor's degree. He doesn't have like eight different degrees like a lot of these guys. Although he has 17 honors from different... Uh, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. But you're right. He, well, Stephen Colbert is an honorary doctor as well. But hey, Ray Kurzweil earned them 100%. Yeah. So he has borrowed science fiction terms like the singularity, which refers to a point in the near future where technological progress grows past the point of human comprehension. So we were talking earlier about like the power of a computer versus the power of a human. Now, although we don't have necessarily uh, like a perfect way of quantifying those powers, what I do know is based on the current growth if that continues as far as technological progress then it's pretty obvious that it will just explode into ridiculousness because if you look at the past 40 years for example um you know we what does that take us to 1975 or something 1975 so in 1975 people were using punch cards yeah uh people probably could only use computers to do a few things that they could do faster. They could still write a letter to you faster on a typewriter uh, or by hand. There was all kinds of things that uh, computers weren't faster than humans at. And in five years, we'll have automatically driving cars on the roads. Sure. I mean, the one thing that you know computers are great at is eventually replacing all these tasks that... Uh, I'm sorry, that computers are good at is event, is replacing all these tasks that humans have done or making them much better. I don't know how to do... I, I probably could sit down and figure out how to do long division again, but I don't need to ever know how to do long division. I don't need to know like multiplication tables aside from really simple things that it's too tedious to pull out a calculator. But you, you, I have a calculator at my fingertips most of the day. Right. So so at this point in time, what computers are doing are helping us go about our daily tasks without having to do the things we used to do. Um, but just that in and of itself is unfathomable to people from 1975. Or from five years ago. Exactly. You were just talking yesterday about how you use Google Hangouts and it, you've never been able to use a program like this before that just completely encapsulates all of the online conversations you have with everybody right everything is right there in one place uh and it's very efficient and it's very intuitive in its use and you are able to use it in like every single way that you think about you want to use it, it it's there for you 
Yeah, and that's that's not even like super highly evolved technology. That's, yeah, that's something that we probably should have had ten years ago. That's just because everybody has a good enough computer that they can run that program. Right, and everyone is on the same platform. Which is so funny because I think about computers that I had when I was little, when it was like 1989 or something, which if it tried to run Hangouts would like crash the entire computer because it only had like, you know, a certain amount of memory <laughs> and it, it couldn't even run like one simple extension on a web browser that it can right. today. That's yeah. insane. Like, Imagine how like long it would take to load a picture album. Well, that's the grain of sand thing, right? And because we're going so uh, so crazy exponentially forward, then even ourselves, who we consider now to be very tech-savvy people, very intelligent people, very uh, up-to-date on the current tech, you know, will be incredulous at whatever the hell is going on in 10 years. Sure. It's, but it's it, insane. Because it's about. a slow transition, you're able to grow with it instead of just closing your eyes today and waking up in 10 years and saying what the hell is going on well that's correct yeah so because because we are able to live through it and and uh have these experiences with everyone else then it's not a crazy thing uh that's that's i think when you become a little older like say i'm 32 um if someone was 62 and they spent all day just sitting in the house watching tv then certain things could be unbelievable to them because they are not living it. Well, I mean, dude, we pay attention to lots of different things. Yeah, if you and don't I pay still attention. come across things that are just totally mind blowing. And it happens on a more and more rapid pace. Sure. That is the thing that blows my mind. Just like last week when I was really getting into all of the SpaceX stuff. Like some of the stuff that they do blow like is freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Landing a rocket on a platform in the ocean. Yep. We can do that. <laughs> So, so this this uh, Kurzweilian view on the future, as it's come to be known, right? It has been popularized by not only Ray Kurzweil, who is a well-known person among uh, tech people, um, but also uh, in Hollywood, because the movie called Her, which was super popular and was awesome, by the way, I really loved it. Uh, was specifically about the singularity, and uh, I would recommend it to all of you. So this is, movie is basically about this uh, this like phone, this operating system this person is using uh, that he like sort of slowly begins to develop a relationship with, and uh, it it really isn't. It's not exactly about that, but that is also happening in the movie. But the point is, um, in this particular movie, they're saying like something is building to artificial intelligence and maybe it is evolving right in front of our eyes and we don't even realize it is writing its own code, figuring out its own stuff. Yeah. Um, and now that's not exactly what Kurzweil's view of that was. And what I thought was pretty interesting was that he actually reviewed the film himself uh, because it was sort of based on some of the books that he had written in the past and certain things that he was saying. Okay. I kind of like the idea that this visionary, like uh, genius, uh, technology guy, is all is existing right now with us in our generation, uh, and a lot of people don't know who he is, but I guarantee they will in fifty years. Not necessarily even because of something he does in the future, but because this guy already has a legacy. He's got, yeah, he's got a big enough resume already. He's done a shitload of things, and no yeah. one even knows who he is. Well, if you go to a concert, odds are his name is on the keyboard yeah there's a lot of those uh so here's what he said he said in my view biological humans will not be outpaced by the ais because they we will enhance themselves 
me with AI. <laughs> so it won't be us versus them, uh, but we'll enhance our own capacity by merging with them the things that we have created uh, who have taken out a life of their own. We're doing this already. Even though most of our computers, although not all of them, are not yet physically inside of us, he considers that to be an arbitrary distinction. Yeah, there's just external and internal. So you know, Google Glass is just a very close external one. It's getting very close. Yeah. And also al- like a- already going in ears and eyes and brains. Uh, Parkinson's sure. implants and things that we do inside the, the internal organs are already connected into our brain. Like the cyborg on Silicon Valley. Well, that's that's fiction. Did you watch that yet? No. Oh, no. There's a guy <laughs> with a pacemaker, and he calls himself a cyborg because he has a pacemaker. Close. Not a, not really a spoiler. It's okay. See, I, I think cyborg needs to be connected to the brain. Sure. But, sure. but I get it. I but mean, he requires machinery to live, much yeah. like Tony Stark. Yeah. He's basically Iron Man, is what you're saying. Mm, close. He's probably like an uh, like a not very physical. Can't, I him like potassium man. Can't run long distance. Sodium man, maybe, but not Iron Man. Uh, can lift up to eighty pounds at a time. Iron Man can lift up to eighty pounds at a time. Yes, I potassium man is what we'll call him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, so a kid in Africa with a smartphone has instant access to more knowledge than the president of the United States had 15 years ago. Which is absolutely true. Is that a dig at George W. Bush? No. Okay. That is just saying. <laughs> that's just saying that in that space of time. No, I, I know. Yeah. the The internet that uh, that one was me reaching. Okay, but but the internet that did exist back then was the internet of like Coca Cola flashing animations and uh, like the mini- internet in the year two thousand. In the year 2000. And MIDI music coming on when you went somewhere. and like Oh, God. That is why, <laughs> to this day, I mostly never have my computer speakers on. And websites that auto have autoplay videos with sound and stuff, just... Well... I hate them with a passion. Well, I'm in the industry, so best practices are not to do that. And, and most people are like me, and they don't do that. So if you are on a website that that does happen, then you, you should probably get out of there. Right. <laughs> but even like... The autoplay on YouTube pisses me off. Yeah. Like, I click that link expecting one thing to play. Not it to end and then me to go to another window and be like, what the hell is going on? Well, I believe it's an option somewhere, but... No, I can turn it off. It's I probably not something that you want to turn off. But, you know, the autoplay video is like, uh, whenever I'm browsing sites uh, when we're doing the fantasy football show, I have to be really careful because those kind of sites, ESPN and NFL.com, those are going to have autoplaying videos a lot. Yeah. No, because that's what people want to go and see when they get there. So I understand it for them. Sort of. Well, not for us. If we're going there for, for like stats or background. Right, right. I'm going to like a box score page. But you see. And it's loading the, you know. They're still giving 10. people what they want in general. The vast majority of people are going there to see like video because the vast majority of people yeah, I'm sure don't that's read what most text on websites. Use, yeah. Which is disappointing, people. Come on. But I'm going to the page with text on it. I mean, come on, guys. I understand. So what, what Kurzweil was saying was. We have always created and used our technology to extend our reach. We couldn't reach the fruit at that higher branch a thousand years ago. So we made a tool to extend our physical reach to get to the fruit. And we've already extended our mental reach that's going to continue at an exponential pace. Yeah. Now, the guy is really interesting and, again, like I said, kind of crazy. But the mind-boggling thing is how much everybody... makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, and how much everybody trusts and respects his work. So even those people that are are saying, you know, you're crazy. There's no singularity. We're not going to get there. These things aren't going to happen. Well, Kurzweil was recently hired as the director of engineering for Google and is now in charge of their entire artificial intelligence effort. Now, are there really people who don't think that we'll get to the singularity, that that we won't have like an artificial intelligence? I think most people at this point would assume that it's an inevitability. Most of the artificial intelligence community thinks that we will. It's an inevitability. Okay. But most people don't have any grasp on how... Well, their opinion in that matter wouldn't, you know, wouldn't matter. It, it doesn't matter, except that, that you have to be, you know, a learned individual, right, to, to know all of these things, to have researched them, to understand, like, the exponential growth, to see where we could go in a short period of time. If, but you have to have money behind it, you know. So you need the politicians. In order to, in order to accomplish you need the it. people. You need the but not governments. To, not to just know about it. You and I can learn about it in a relatively short period of time. I think before we even did this, like we could have answered the question: Do we legitimately think that AI will come about? And we would have, you know, opinions on the matter, and we would be able to at least have a discussion on it. Well, you know, I, you're right. I think. I don't think that, uh, I'll be honest, I don't think that, that most people out there are as intelligent as, uh, say, you or I are. I think we're probably above the curve. I think that's kind of tested already. I've taken tests and passed in school, et cetera, to tell you what percentile you're in. Now, I'm not talking about common sense. I'm talking about intelligence. Yeah. Um, but I do think that most people, if they learn about these things, could recognize that. But... These are the same people that we're talking about that are like, you know, extremely devout religious people and people that think that, uh, you know, they're in a jihad and people that think that, you know, it just, there are so many people that are just not ready for this kind of stuff. True. Um, but you're right. I think the majority of intelligent people, and there are a lot of intelligent people on the earth, are, are maybe ready to realize that that the rapid growth cycle that we're currently on is going to result in something unbelievable all the time because it already does. It already does. You just go back and look at timelines and and you say 1860 to 1880 doesn't look like much really happened. Maybe like a steam engine or something. Well, but then like every 20 years, exactly. And just like the population growth. Yeah. Well, I, everything has that sort of, I mean, something's got to give, right? Eventually something will give. So, so he is now working for Google, which is amazing, considering before he hasn't really even had a job. He's just, <laughs> he's just kind of been doing his own thing or starting his own company, but not really running it. And you know, you know what I mean? Just inventing shit. Yeah. He's been an inventor. He's like, kind of like the hippie Thomas Edison. Right. So Google, their artificial intelligence efforts are out of this world amazing. So yeah. they have spent countless billions of dollars in the past couple of years. Picked up a company called How Boston. How freaking episodes have we... We should just do one on Google because Google keeps coming up in every episode. And it's completely different things. Last week was... You, they're going to put internet on satellites in the sky and it's going to be free for everyone. You can no longer even do an episode on Google. You'd have to split it up into like a section <laughs> of Google. I mean, what do you mean you want to do Gmail? They're literally doing too many things. But so look, just look at their artificial intelligence group. So they picked up Boston Dynamics, which makes these lifelike military robots for an undisclosed amount that was probably, you know, five billion or something. Right. 
Um, they picked up Nest Labs, which makes smart thermostats. Super cool technology. Uh, you can use that for all sorts of things. It's really about learning more than it is about heating and cooling your house. What they're interested in is learning behavior. Um, last year, they acquired a British artificial intelligence startup called DeepMind. Now, DeepMind, just this past month, they demonstrated a computer system that was actually able to learn how to play video games from scratch. Now, this is what's amazing about that. You've got uh, these computers called Deep Blue, you know, this original IBM, one that, that beat the chess champion. Which, and Watson. Which, by the way, which Ray, Ray Kurzweil predicted a long time before it actually happened. Yeah. Um, and Watson, which has more recently beaten the two best contestants ever to be on Jeopardy. Yep. So, I mean, pretty pretty high standards there. You know what Watson's doing now? He's teaching, uh, um, I think, in a hospital. Something uh, about uh, about cancer or like it's basically becoming a teacher. Uh, oh, they're using it as a research as tool, a research tool, yeah. right? Because that's sort of what Watson did. They were able to program all of the knowledge, like as much known knowledge in the human race that they could, yeah. into that, and it was able to take a common sense question and sort of uh, figure out what the answer was. And it was it was so good. <laughs> yep. So here's what I like about DeepMind, which besides the fact that it's an obvious allusion to deep thought from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, is a great name for a company. <laughs> um, anyway, what they did is they had uh, Atari 2600 games, uh, which is a system I actually had when I was a, a little kid because my dad had owned it. And so I know a lot of these games. But what they did is they, they made a computer that was able to play the games from scratch, learn how to play them, and then beat professional gamers at the same game. Like decide what was the right thing to do, what was actually the positive thing to do in the game, that what the goal even was. even more impressive than Deep Blue because controls. Deep Blue was programmed to play chess. Right. Programmed specifically to play chess with all the chess patterns and everything in there. And this, uh, this computer system was not programmed to play anything in particular. But it was programmed to play video games. Well, yes. So it must know a few things. Yes. You have a certain amount of lives. You need to score points. Uh, you don't want to fall down holes. Right, but think of how different all of those video games are. And how, well, how much they have like nothing to do with each other. It, it, a platformer, it can play like Atari 2600 games, right? Yes. Okay, so it's not playing Halo right now. Well, no. Okay. And as, as we discussed... You know, but but this is a big step forward because this is something like you were talking about earlier. It's not creating something out of nothing, but it's learning its own behavior. Yeah, that's very close. And then You're it's right. writing this is a step there. It's way. writing its own rules, and then it's behaving by those rules. Yes. And if it sees something that, that is different or changed, then it changes the rules and it rewrites the program for itself. It rewrites its own program, which is what we do. Yes, we do that. It is. We are supposed to anyway. Learn from. Yeah, I was going to say things. yeah. Some we, people are a little more stubborn than others. We don't always. Yeah. But isn't that amazing? Isn't that really That's interesting? That's a cool one, yeah. So, so all these companies that they just purchased and other ones that they had purchased, and this is all in the past couple of years, before then they already had a division for this, what is currently being assembled via Google acquisitions and the installation of Kurzweil at the helm has been referred to by more than one person as the Manhattan Project of Artificial Intelligence. And I must agree with that. I feel like whatever's going to happen here, like Google is going to be at the forefront of it. Yeah. And and I don't know. Like I'm sure Apple has their own thing. I'm sure Microsoft has stuff. Although, let's be honest, Microsoft at this point is like a small baby at the feet of Google and Apple. 
I mean, as Google far as, is enormous. I can't really fathom that these other companies are like close to it in terms of like the the amount of like research that it's doing and all of the basically all of the R and D and the variety of what it's doing. Like Apple is a large company financially, but they're not like Google in that in those respects. They're not coming up with all this new shit. Well, if they are, we don't know about it. But Apple's generally been more closed off. Google's like, we'll tell you everything we're doing. Most of what we're doing. We'll tell you all the stuff that you need to know. <laughs> we'll tell you what we want you to know. We'll do no evil. <laughs> Most of the time. So, so yeah. And, and i got to try to wrap this up a little bit. Uh, but we have a little more time. So, it's very interesting, this guy, Ray. A lot of people peg him as being kind of uh, an idiot. on a first-name basis now. Kind of a crazy guy, kind of a mad scientist. And yeah, I mean, he's he's pumping himself full of drugs and stuff. But hey, he hasn't died yet and he still looks like he's younger than 67. So maybe he is doing something right. And I don't think that everything he does is right. Just like I don't think all his predictions come true. But let's look at the of predictions course. he's gotten right over the last 25 years. He said a computer would defeat a world chess champion by 98 uh, in 1990. This is what he predicted. All these things in 1990. Okay. Uh, and so, 97, IBM Deep Blue defeated Kasparov. He said in 1990 that PCs would be capable of answering queries by accessing information wirelessly by 2010. From 1990. Yeah. So did very well there. <laughs> he said that exoskeletal limbs would let the disabled walk. That is already happening. That did happen, you know, like you said, around the same time, too. And he's like a time traveler, this guy. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. In 1999, he predicted people would talk to their computer by giving commands by 2009. Now, I don't think that's a hard prediction to make. I think it's a natural extension. But 2009, actually, there were programs where you could do that. So that's pretty amazing. And early days, but, but were programs. Yeah. That computer displays would be built into eyeglasses for augmented reality. Now, he was a little bit early by saying 2009, but 2011, Google Glass, like you mentioned, it came up. Well, there was, like, I'm sure that there are that there were military things. Uh, pilots and stuff already had heads-up displays in their helmets and things and like that. And the R&D stuff in, like, private sector and government, so, like, we may not know exactly Right, when. right. Some of that did exist. Obviously, I think a lot of what he is predicting is something that is going to be more accessible to the masses. Like, uh... An exoskeleton, like a limb. Yeah. Uh, you know, those things maybe were only available to a select few for like five years. And then when they finally became uh, easier to manufacture. Yeah. You know, and better, obviously. Well, this guy's pretty right on. In 2005, he said, by 2010s, uh, there would be something where you could uh, just speak in a language and have it translated immediately vocally via a computer device to a different language which uh -huh. you can do right now for free on android yep amazing and it actually works really well uh there's even one app called uh word lens um this site uh singularityhub.com is, is where where i am at actually as kind of compilation of uh information and it says uh it actually uses your camera to find and translate text imagery so you could let's say take your camera over like a menu and it will then just immediately on your camera in real time convert it to the language that you know yeah um, amazing that's fun it's absolutely like whatever it can see it's translating to your language see this kind of stuff like when in 1990s when i was watching star trek and that's yeah, kind of stuff that, this is stuff from the movies it is absolutely insane the kind of things we can do uh and obviously these are not ai they're just 
the, they're just uh, compounding technology, exponentially growing, uh, and what we can do with it. But here's the cool stuff. So here's his predictions for the next 25 years. His uh, prediction rate, I heard someone uh, had said from his books, etc., was something around like 67%, <laughs> which is ridiculous. But, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that, that I'm saying that. That's just what I read. Um I have read one of uh, his books before a long time ago, but I didn't realize at the time that it was like real life. <laughs> you thought it was just a fiction? Well, I, re- I read it and I thought it was maybe like sort of science fiction-y. Like the Celestine Prophecy. Are you familiar with that book? I'm familiar. I have not read it. That's sort of uh, talking about how like spirits are all interconnected, consciousness, like that kind of spirituality. Okay. Like I sort of thought this is the same thing except with computers, like almost in a science fiction realm. But actually, Kurzweil is just like thinking differently than everybody else. He's thinking in this exponential format rather than linearly. Uh-huh. Like when you and I think, what's going to happen in 10 years? We're like, well, we have phones... We have how phone all, watches. How will our phones be different? But the real thing that happens is that things are disrupted because the technology that happens right. is too advanced for us to even come up you with. You won't have a phone in 10 years. What are you going to have to replace that? Exactly. Yep. Uh, so 25 years, predictions. If you're an entrepreneur, then you got to be thinking about this. Um, if you're a regular person, you got to be thinking about this. Uh, certainly, Kurzweil has been thinking about this for a long time. By the late 2010s, glasses will beam images directly onto the retina. 10 terabytes of computing power will cost about 1,000. Now, they're saying that's about the same as the human brain. So I'm not exactly sure. We talked about it earlier. We're not scientists, though, so we, we don't know the exact facts. Um, but I'm going to assume that they don't know exactly the computing power of the human brain, which is why they say roughly. Yeah. Um, but $1,000, what they're saying is a computer that, that like my dad bought in the 90s, uh, like a good Apple computer, was costing like $2,000. So at that time, $2,000, I mean, that's more than $1,000 will be in the late 2010s. That's not very much money. What they're saying is that you can buy a computer that will be almost as powerful as your brain is for a very inexpensive price. Before 2020. Yeah. By the 2020s, most diseases will go away because there are nanobots that are smarter than current medical technology, which means that you can program into nanobots what they should do and what they should be looking for and how to figure that out by themselves. And then you just sort of, uh, they, they just kind of figure things out. We don't yeah, need to even smart. do it because they're smarter than us. Can I give you some uh, numbers that they ran for uh, measuring the power of the human brain? Sure. All right. So in 2014, so this was about a year ago, the fourth most popular, powerful computer in the world, uh, they replicated our human brain, a network of 1.73 billion nerve cells, 10.4 trillion synapses. So the computer with over 700 pro- 700,000 processor cores, 1.4 million gigabytes of RAM, took 40 minutes to model the data from one second of, uh, mem- of a human brain processing. Mm-hmm. So there's still a long way to go, I think, in order to match the power of the human brain. But, you know, by the end of this decade, they'd be insane. I or, mean, no, that I... was 2020s, right, for that one? Yeah. Okay. 
That's that is how no. exponential he thinks. Of Late two thousand. So let's say it's twenty twenty. But but point being, uh, that would be like five years from now. So I don't know when that study's from or. Well, okay, ten terabytes of computing power, which is sort of what that thing already has, will only cost a thousand dollars instead of costing, you know, filling a room and being, uh, right. you know, the fourth most powerful computer in the world. Well, that's crazy. Remember when it was a big deal that. Uh, the Apple computer was a supercomputer because it had a one gigahertz processor. Yeah, <laughs> of course I do. I was I was a big Apple guy. I was I was on. That's top so of that. cute. Now every little kid in Africa has a supercomputer in their pocket. The the phones that you get for free, you know, by signing up for a contract, are probably like three times as powerful as those supercomputer Apple computers, the G3s from 1994. Yeah, or 97, I think. But hey, that's not. Wasn't important. it the first G4? That was one gigahertz? Maybe. But the G4s are still not that bad, though. I mean, if you go back, back, it's probably then like 1998 or 1999. So it's only about 15 years ago. So, I mean, like, I've got a quad-core i7 here, you know, that we're running the show through. And that thing has got to be probably several hundred times as fast as a G4 computer. Yeah. Um, But still, pretty cool that, you know... And that was marketing. A lot of it was marketing. But granted, you would have these supercomputers that were called supercomputers. These things that like governments had bought, you know, five years prior, and that cost hundred thousand dollars. And now, five ten years later, you're buying a computer for three thousand dollars that has as much, if not more, computing power than like a governments in Iran bought with all of their money. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, some more. So he's saying 2030s uh, virtual reality will begin to feel 100% real. Now we're already getting this like stereo, uh, you know, crazy high quality, high resolution, uh, over the head kind of VR stuff. But I think what what he's talking about is there there needs to actually be like a, like feeling sort of uh, input like. Something in maybe it gets attached or or to the, some nerve or something like that. They can actually um, uh, they can actually reproduce these feelings, these physical feelings like touch, things like that. And he's saying at the end of the decade, we'll be able to upload our mind or consciousness to that virtual reality world. Which going back to Neil Stevenson, like Snow Crash or like Ready Player One, uh, all of these novels uh, and science fiction movies or like the matrix where you are actually somewhere else but your consciousness exists in this virtual reality world where because the program says uh and interacts with your brain that you're touching something it feels like you're touching something right as long as your brain is telling you that you're touching it then for all intents and purposes you're touching it you know what's funny about that is that if philosophers as far back as Plato and Aristotle had thought for a long time, like maybe this stuff isn't actually real. Maybe well, they went to the whole point of like even uh, imagining down to the size of atoms and realizing that, well, it's all just made up of atoms. I'm not actually touching anything. Yeah. Like I'm just picking up a bunch of atoms, but I'm not touching any of them. Right. I mean, people have been smart all throughout the years. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, The fact that my fingers and hands are all composed of moving molecules, and when I touch another surface, which is also composed of moving molecules... They don't mix together? They don't mix together. (laughs) In some instances, they do. And sometimes they do. You're right. It's pretty crazy. Stuff Um, is cool. 
is uh, saying that by the 2040s, non-biological intelligence will be a billion times more capable than biological intelligence because it has been so far advanced and creating its own, you know, uh, 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 different evolutions that nanotech will be able to make food out of thin air and create any object in a physical world at a whim. So like 3D printers, like in Star Trek where you have like the, the replicators, they can just make you any food. Like whatever. in Futurama when Bender keeps getting cloned to be smaller and smaller <laughs> and he eventually rearranges the molecules on in water to create alcohol. Yes. Just like that. Well, Which is crazy because it's just like that. <laughs> if we can as a society actually reach that point and this actually comes true in any capacity, even if it's 2050, 2060, 2080, whatever, that we can actually like take molecules and form them into food then you know we're going to be solving a lot of major problems and people are going to be a lot happier like all we need are nanobots to manipulate things on a molecular scale yeah you know once you can move molecules around you can do crazy things once you can go another scale smaller and move atoms around you can do anything but this stuff is already slated to happen and we already have like technology in place that will get there and we already have the theory to behind take it matter and change it into something else. By 2045, we will multiply our intelligence into a billion fold by linking wirelessly from our neocortex in the brain to a synthetic neocortex in the cloud. To the cloud, Jason. To the cloud, David. You will go to the cloud. We will all be part of the cloud. <laughs> so, um, yes, there are a lot of things here that are crazy. Maybe not all of them will come true. But by his own track record over the past 30 years, I mean... Most of these will come true. Yeah. And and that is just insane. Um, I There's a chart here that we'll include on the article on drink5.com. And it shows uh, this exponential growth of computing from the 20th through the 21st century. And when you look at it, it doesn't seem like it's, it's that much, you know, because it's a sort of a zoomed out graph. But what's funny is... When you look at 1900, for example, wherever we were, and then the sort of the slow climb to where we are now, but then realizing how much different in technology those those little tiny hash marks really are. Yeah. Um, they're going up to um, like 2040. We're pretty much doubling, like where we're at, uh, in let's say 19, 1980 or 2000. No, we're multiplying it by. Uh... Factor of four. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry, quadrupling. So, wherever we were and are, it's pretty much, as I've said a couple times, unfathomable where we're going to be. It's almost, and I've always been saying this, like it's it's so hard to comprehend what will come next because what comes next is uncomprehensible. You know, uh, if we actually were able to understand what it was, then we would be millionaires. Uh, you know. Possibly. So, if we knew how to then monetize it. Well, yeah. There's always a catch. <laughs> I do know how to monetize things. If, if anybody out there uh, wants to tell me what the next big thing is, I will tell you how <laughs> to make money. I'll help you make money on it. Uh, so, last little bit. Um, but what about Skynet, right? So, is it is it the uh, Kurzweil, you know, way of thinking where everything works together and we... Uh, and we kind of we create this AI and this great technology that then becomes something um, that that we can coexist with and actually become part of, and it becomes a part of us. 
Or is it something different? Is it more like Terminator or like a uh, dystopian universe where we have things working against us? Or are there governments that create these big R&D projects of drones with AI uh, that then turn against them or, you know, create new robots? Now, I I don't want to put all of this out there on a platter like, (laughs) like I'm advertising for the destruction of the earth via, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Because that's not the reality. The reality right now is that artificial intelligence is limited, but almost everybody agrees that, you know, within varying time spans, that computers will surpass us in intelligence and become something that is, in and of itself, a an intelligent being. Um, that means. Do you think there'll be one or multiple? Like, will it be one great intelligence, or will it be? Lots of, you know, whatever program somebody wants to write, you can come up with your own. Create your own uh, internet best friend. Yeah, I mean, so so what I've heard people talking about is if, if you're talking at a high level about, like, what it could be like in the vast future, in the far future, then it would be like creating some kind of, uh, of an application. And then that application can just sort of travel around the network. There will be, like, certain things that it could just go into that are like machines that it could embody and then become, yeah, you know, but it, it w- <laughs> sort of haunt the machine. Yeah. Like it'd be a little dog or like it could be a robot or it could be your microwave or it could be a computer or whatever. But we're assuming that we're going to stay the same too, which I'm not sure that's correct, you know, and that's hard for me to deal with. That's hard for anybody to deal with. That's what I see. I see people, you know, over a long enough period of time, using more and more uh, cybernetic enhancements right. and then eventually being able to essentially upload your uh, in your consciousness to a computer and then you you know that is how people will live forever right because and I think that's what Kurzweil is waiting for well no well, well maybe. But, but what he is saying in the meantime is that also there will be like a stop of all diseases and, and cellular aging because there there is a way to stop all of that. But, but I mean, does he really think that he could be around for a thousand years? I mean... No, no, no. He's saying all this can happen soon. Right. But then that physical body, could it really last a thousand years? Oh, I see what you mean. No, I mean, so a physical body that we inhabit is still a physical body that will eventually disintegrate because it's made of, of uh, carbon. Right. You know, but if you are able to upload a consciousness into a machine, then that machine could be around forever because it continued building and continue being connected. And, and, you know, I guess he's saying the future of of people is just that becoming a consciousness that is not uh, restricted to a physical body and then can go do whatever it wants to do. And it can be backed up kind of like Cylons from Battlestar Galactica. You can back up your own consciousness. So even if you die, you can just appear again. You know, yeah. you're like, well, shit, I, I mean, I shouldn't have gone into that supernova. I knew better, <laughs> but it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, they're saying that the computers will be able to reprogram themselves, other computers to perform any number of tasks, self-replication, resource gathering. We talked about all the things that they could do. Um, now, here's a couple of people that you probably know. So uh, uh, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates, Steve Wozniak. Sure. Now, these are all people that aren't necessarily creating things themselves now that are sort of a little past their time. 
Yeah. Um, but they have all said that artificial... Well, I think they're all still doing great things. Well, I'm not very, as familiar I'm not, with what I'm, Waz is doing right now. I'm not saying they're not doing great things. Right. But but all of them, like as far as like being actual like programmers or scientists, um, they're more like running companies. Right, right. That's exactly what it is. So they may be a little lost in the shuffle, uh, or they may be right, but they have all said that artificial intelligence is one of humanity's biggest existential risks. Hundreds of artificial intelligence experts just recently signed a letter put together by the Future of Life Institute. They prompted Elon Musk to donate $10 million to the Institute. And he said, we recommend expanded research aimed at ensuring that increasingly capable AI systems are robust and beneficial because the AI systems must do what we want them to do. So um, that's great. I have no problem with that. Uh, But recognize that, you know, some of the older, more established people in the fields feel that we're kind of rushing into things without like contemplating what perhaps could happen should we stumble upon some technological But that's how everything works really. It is. Uh, We don't, you don't necessarily think about, it's impossible to consider all of the implications of something when you invent it. Well, exactly. And he says they must do what we want to do them to do. So who, what does we mean? They don't want, you know, it has to be, you have to make AI in a way where it's always beneficial for it to be allied with humanity rather than somehow decide that humanity is its enemy and it has to, you know, get rid of it. Well, right. So the Future of Life Institute. So when he says AI systems must do what we want them to do, what does we refer to? Humans. Okay. But but humans are not going to be making this decision. We're not going to have like an app that... You know, uh, that unilaterally we decide exactly what happens with the AI. It's going to be governments or... It's going to be whoever finally comes up with it. I don't even know if they're going to be able to decide. It's probably going to end up being whatever private interest groups have it in their R&D facilities, right? So Google, for example... Most likely at this point. So I guess we'll see if they... They're the front runner right now. I guess we'll see if they do no evil. Look, (laughs) if Google does come up with it, I hope that... You know, Ray Kurzweil is the one who's in charge of the shit right then. Well, know? he is right now. I know. I just hope that it's it's good to have somebody who is much better. Uh, you know, it's good to have somebody who I think wants to benefit people uh, in charge of those things. And that's his whole thing. Kind of like Elon Musk. It's really neat, yeah. Elon Musk made a ton of money on PayPal and he was like, I don't want to just retire with my money. I want to do cool things that benefit lots of people. Yeah, well, you should see the video of Elon Musk and uh, and Ray Kurzweil. They actually have a discussion about the future of Earth on YouTube for about twenty five minutes, and I have a, I'll put a link in the article. Oh, uh, that's very interesting because he is kind of at odds with Ray. They just sort of don't agree with each other because Ray's more of like a visionary, and in Elon's kind of like, well, we need to make sure that everything is uh, is like um, that they I, listen to us. Well. <laughs> Yeah, but like as you said, it's 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 going to be difficult to to deal with that. But it's always going to be difficult to deal with that, no matter when it happens. Right. It's not like we should just put it off because we should put it off. It's inevitable. Yeah. It um, doesn't matter if we try to put it off. So is is consciousness uniquely human? Uh, and by that I mean, could something be built that was defined as intelligent but didn't have a consciousness? Uh, 
when we talk about consciousness and when we talk about some people call the soul, it's basically what, what I am that makes me, me that you may like or dislike in any particular moment of my existence. And same, same with you. Yeah. I kind of think of it as your ability to uh, realize that you are an individual and that you are separate from other people and you're able to contemplate your own existence. Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, and, and, See, one of the things about the the singularity is that it's eventually leading to maybe all of us sort of uh, joining into some kind of collective uh, consciousness. So right now we're all individual. Is that good or bad? Um, Look, it's it's both good and bad. It's bad in that uh, because we're individuals, we don't think of the greater good nearly as much as maybe... Uh, we should because it would be much more beneficial to more people if we all thought that way all the time. But at the same time, because we're individuals, we're able to create all these amazing things that I don't know, you know, that you'd be able to create otherwise. So I think what AI will allow us to do is to be both, to be both connected to everyone all the time and to still be able to be an individual you know, it's like being in a bee colony where you're all connected, but instead of being a drone, everyone is, uh, you know, is not a drone. They're just a human. Well, that that is the ultimate goal. Yeah, everything is to build on everything else and not subtract from, but add to. Uh, what sort of consequence will the development of high-level artificial intelligence have on the deeply religious people throughout the world? Will religion cease to exist? Will people just enter into jihads and, and uh, you know, religious wars? Um, will the, those people that are very devout have serious problems with this? Or I would like they... to briefly bring up the other great prophets of our time, that being Matt Stone and Trey Parker of South Park. <laughs> they got it right. They'll just find something else to fight over. It'll be for uh, people who believe in this type of science or that type of science. It'll be the Muscites versus the Kurzweilians. You know, I mean, so they'll you... just be people who like to identify themselves as one thing and, uh, you know, everything that's not them isn't bad. So you think that the existing religions will sort of dissipate when they realize that we are now creating uh, life in some other form and that we're uh, connecting on some higher consciousness and that this, these things... Or will they just... I think that's a natural transition. There aren't a whole lot of ancient religions around still. There's a couple, but, like, there was... You know, hundreds of religions that all died out, you know, there'll be more that they'll just continue to die out and new things will replace it. So you don't think it would become a like a, a violent thing? I'm sure there will be plenty of violence associated with all of this. Me too. Like countries who think that they have AI are going to try and use it as a weapon and that's going to cause all kinds of problems. Yeah. Of course, everything we create that's amazing is also like equally. How as, can you use it to kill somebody? As awesomely terrible, yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, Musk once tweeted, "We need to be super careful with AI, potentially more dangerous than nukes," and that is exactly what we're saying. Stephen Hawking has also spoken up against uh, moving ahead with AI development so quickly without careful consideration when he said the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. And I think they're all referring to basically uh, creating something in a militaristic fashion or not, anything that has access to the ability to uh, to do something violent. Yeah. Uh, and then possibility of the government giving them access codes to nuclear weapons or whatever it is that comes up that's even uh, more serious than that. So 
it it really comes down to not the AI itself, but what we do with it, right? Uh, I don't. I think that we always in movies like Terminator and other movies and, and other popular culture, we take these uh, these bits of technology like artificial intelligence that again it's not around yet, but we're assuming that it will be, uh, and we we try to like transfer all of our negativity to them and say it's not us it's like terminator it was like it's not us it's, it's bad it's their fault it's the robots that are trying to kill us right but but someone must have told the robots to kill us exactly so you know i i don't think that and that's what uh, kurzweil is saying that like ai is not going to be intrinsically bad because they are just uh it's just it's whatever still we, just following instructions whatever we made at least initially so if, if we made it in our image and our image is bad, then it's going to be bad. If we tell it that it needs to kill things, then it will kill things. That's true. I mean, that's that's all that's going to happen. But it's scary. Uh, and uh, as so often happens, the real world might take cues from science fiction. Isaac Asimov thought up the three rules of robotics. Uh, rules that he thought should be programmed into the, to the very basic code of any sort of artificial intelligence. I wrote a couple, or not wrote, but read a couple of Asimov's books when I was younger. I remember these three rules. These rules were put in place back in, I think, the 50s or the 60s, whenever he was originally writing his series, which iRobot, which then became uh, you know a pretty big movie here, yeah. was one of. He said, one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And three, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. So I like these rules, but I wonder if it's somewhat close to slavery. Uh, absolutely it is. And the problem with that is uh, we must be in control while we are figuring out what something is, right? We can't just let it be chaotic. Right, and I mean, that's how machines work now. But if machines change, if the way they work changes, and we impose upon them these rules, perhaps that is where something bad happens. Or, I mean, I mean, the one nice thing about it is that you have the first rule, where the robot cannot injure people. Right, but if, if robots can reprogram themselves or create new robots and program them, then they would just change the rules. it doesn't matter. They would just like, maybe the parents can't kill you, but the children can, <laughs> you know? Uh, That'd but, be a very human thing to do. It would be. Find a loophole. Well, like I said, put it in your image. It's going to come out your image. Uh, so knowing all the possibilities here, the question becomes, will the impending technology be controllable? Does it need to be? Does it have to be? Should it be? Well, I think that most of the, like Kurzweil said, most of the leading edge of the technology is going to be basically enhancing what a human can do. So I think that we'll be able to stay ahead of computers until we can figure out how to implement it correctly. Because we're going to keep enhancing ourselves with the technology we create. In fact, it'll be more of a merging of the two. There won't necessarily be like entirely digitized artificial intelligences. Like something that is created from nothing that is then intelligent and goes on to, I don't know, help humans do research or predict the weather or just have conversations with people. Well, there may be. I mean, Watson's already helping humans do research. There's already computers that predict the weather. Uh, there already are things that have conversations with people. But I'm just... 
Those are all things that a computer can do. That's why I listed them. I understand. Because we're not really sure what is going to happen with things that Exactly. Like, it could yet. do whatever it wants. Or it could, uh, you know, find a way to take over a factory and build death bots. So I, so I, I agree with you. And I want sort of his vision to come true. Uh, and, and so that's cool. I, I'm glad we agree on this. But I, uh, I just, I don't know how we can be sure that that actually happens. Because it's one of these things where there's probably like, what, like three or four five, six, you know, however many different like giant entities that are currently researching this and developing it. Uh-huh. And and if it's not one of these uh, good guys, if they are even good guys that eventually come up with the breakthrough, then what does that mean for us, you know? Um, uh, is it a place where death and poverty no longer exist and we merge ourselves with the tech we've created? Or will it be uh, much more dystopian with these war machines? I don't know. I would think that a robot, you, you'd have to figure out a way to program it to want to, to find benefit in like eliminating humans. Well, that's pretty easy if you're if you're doing it mechanically, right? Okay, but then it's not artificial intelligence. It's just a killing machine. I mean, you can say that there's been plenty of sci-fi that sort of it'll make a cyborg and it'll like pump endorphins into its veins every time it kills something. Like make it want to because it makes it feel good. You know uh, what I mean? Like if you have give some, it a reward for doing that. If you have something that feels or knows what a reward is, or but but I'm with you. I, I hope the opposite, and I'm going to do everything in my power to uh, try to get people to be on the same side as me. All right. Um, and and the funny thing is, let's say in twenty thirty years, like this kind of future is actually coming true. Well, we'll be like 60, you know. We'll be Kurzweil's age. Or a little younger, but... We're the age he wants to be. Probably. Because he, close. he may die before this actually happens. But we have a very good chance of being alive when there's a possibility, if the things he's saying come to fruition, uh, of us extending our own lives for a long time, or perhaps indefinitely, or at the very least... Um, extending your so-called consciousness indefinitely. Yeah, or, or just extending your life for, you know, longer than, than normal. Right. Getting an extra 50 years or something like that. Yeah. When, like, living... And, and not just, like, being old and decrepit for 50 years, but, like... But being 50. Having a middle-aged body for, yeah. yeah, 100 years. Being 40 for 100 years. Yeah. I mean, that'd be, I'd be cool with that. <laughs> I could, yeah. So it, it makes okay. you... It also makes you kind of jealous of uh, people that are born now... Because, because they have 30 years on us. Because you wonder, that. like, when they're 30, I mean, what the heck? <laughs> uh, but I think every generation is, is... They get to keep the, the best bodies. Yeah. <laughs> well, every generation is generally jealous of the next one because we're living in a good part of the world right now. Yeah. And not even a part of the world. Well, uh, when you grow up and you're really young, you wish you were older because you could do all those things. We're living in a good time, though. Like, there's no big huge wars that are destroying everyone where we live i'm talking about world war ii world war one things that are massive in scale yeah um i'm not belittling anything that's already happening somewhere else in the world um but you know what i mean there's there's not like uh diseases that are wiping out half of the world like these things aren't currently happening right so we're kind of in this like grace period we're pretty you know like at any not any moment but like we're not far if certain things were to happen from either of those things being true either. Sure. We're, we're on a, there could be a pandemic. There could be a gigantic war with Russia. Like you never know. Yeah. Things could go downhill really quickly. If you know, the economy were to crash 
you know that could trigger all kinds of bad things. Yeah, and and I'm just hoping things will will continue, you know, full speed ahead for a little while, so that we can get some of this technology implemented, so that maybe people can stop being such dicks to one another. I like the way you think. <laughs> well, thank you. So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed the the broadcast. Do you have anything else to add? Cheers, buddy. Well. Make sure to follow us on iTunes. Drink5 Network is our name, as well as Stitcher.com and on your Android and iOS uh, operating systems, as well as Facebook.com slash Drink5 Network and Twitter.com slash Drink5. We are also available with all of our content at Drink5.com. So the for, whole base, if you will. Exactly. So for Jason, I am Dave. And we uh, we had a great time. Hope you did as well. Drink five. <laughs>